Welcome to the My Money, My Lifestyle podcast with me, Maya Fisher-French. And with me, Mabalomaku. Each week, we'll be discussing the stories we're working on and which you can read more about in the City Press. You know, Mapalo, I'm finding it quite hard to be positive at the moment. We've just got all this negative information coming in. And I think, I think people are generally feeling quite negative. I mean, what is your, is that, is that the sense that you're picking up as well? Maya, I am feeling negative myself. Okay, <laughs> I've been going through my rants. I've even opted to just, you know what, stay off social media because there's just too much negative stuff going on. Corruption, the economy, uh, businesses shutting down. It is all too much. Is there some silver lining in all this madness? So I wanted to bring on Isaac Urundal from um, Investment Strategist. He's an investment strategist at Old Mutual Wealth. And the reason I wanted to bring you on, Isaac, is because I, you wrote a note uh, earlier this week, and I just quite identified with it. And I identified with it because, you know, I have been in the market for a while. I've got gray hair now. Um, and if I go back to when I even started working, uh, I started working in the early 90s, there was the 99 a 1996 uh, RAND crisis when Trevor Manuel became finance minister and everything, everyone thought the world was going to come to an end. There was the 97-98 emerging market crisis. There was the 2000 dot-com bubble, which then led to the 2001 RAND crisis. Isaac, you'll remember this, uh, when everybody took their money out of the country because South Africa was going to the dogs. Um, and then we had 2008. And I want to quote something from your article uh, that really kind of struck home. Um, and that was, you said, as much as we like to believe, it is all about hard-nosed number crunching. The stories investors tell themselves and others are key. And, you know, this idea that we tell ourselves stories and we get caught up in a narrative, I think is is, is very, very key. And as Mapala was saying, it's in social media. Um, you know, we, we, we're hearing all these negative stories. Do you think that the stories we're currently telling ourselves are real or should we be skeptical? Yeah, I mean, I, I have to take a deep breath there because, I mean, there's no question that things are bad. I mean, that's that's um, that's the reality. We, we, this is the deepest recession South Africa has had. I mean, you spoke about past cycles. I mean, we have not had a recession this bad ever. So that is that is true. Um, by the same token, narratives do shape markets. Narratives do shape the behavior of investors. You know, when, when times are good, there's always another reason to invest. There's always another reason to buy a second house. There's always another reason to take on more debt because you know things are going great and they'll continue going great. And we're now in the complete opposite, where you know. People just look at the bad news. They just respond to the bad news and, and, and the general narrative around, specifically in South Africa. Obviously, there, there's a global pandemic going on, and, and we can talk about how globally, but, but in South Africa at the moment, the narrative is, you know, people are using words like failed state, talking about fiscal crises, talking about debt crisis. You know, so, so the words we use, the language we use um, is incredibly, incredibly negative. And that ultimately feeds into how people make investment decisions. And I think the worry is, of course, that people will make the wrong kind of investment decisions based now on kind of an emotional response as opposed to what they actually need to do for kind of for long-term wealth creation and or preservation. Okay, but what, I suppose, what should they be doing? I mean, I think that's, that's Mapala, what we all are. What yeah, do I do? So, what do we do in this case? 
Okay, but, but yeah, I think the the so so just to take a step back, I mean, the, the one thing we have seen is that despite all this absolute negative, terrible, terrible news, the the, the equity markets actually done reasonably well, and I mean, so the, so the JSC is actually now flat for the year. So we had that incredible crash, and we had a, a, a very strong bounce. Um, so as an investor, if you did nothing, you know you kind of you kind of okay now. Uh, you you kind of made good for for the year. So maybe, you know, maybe that's the first thing. What do you do? Well, maybe if you've got a decent investment plan in place, then maybe you just do nothing. And that's often the hardest thing to do. The hardest thing to do is to do nothing because that's your instinct is I need to do something. I need to act. I need to respond. You know that's very much the fight or flight kind of response. Uh, but yeah, I mean, markets markets have have uh, have responded, have uh, rallied quite strongly since that low point in March. Um, now, of course, you know, for many people that seems crazy. I mean, how can how can the JSC be up when you know everything else is down? Um, and I think maybe that's where we need to to kind of also talk about actually the fact that our investments are not as exposed to South Africa as as we might tend to think they are. Yeah. So, Isaac, that would be my next question because now the JSE is up by 50% since its lowest point in March, as you mentioned. Yet we keep hearing of all this negative news about the economy. Why are we seeing the markets up when we are facing a recession? You know, for me, it's almost like the markets are living in a different country. And what is happening here? Well, I, mean, I think you're kind of right. The markets are living in a different country because if you look at, if you think about the JSC, I mean, it's 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 a bunch of companies that are listed on the Johannesburg Stock Exchange, but they operate in many different geographies and they do many different things. So the biggest company by far is, as you'll know, is Nasdaq, and and that basically, I mean, you know, used to sell newspapers, but that's kind of a fraction of its business now. Its main business is basically providing you know, social media and internet services in China. Um, so, so that is, has a very little, little, uh, it's, it's not really impacted by what's happening in South Africa. Then you've got the, the mining companies and obviously they, they mine in South Africa, but they sell globally. So they're much more dependent on global commodity prices. And, and the, the one interesting thing of, of this crisis compared to previous global recessions is we've seen commodity prices have actually held up reasonably well. I mean, we had that that very bad collapse in the oil price, and it actually turned negative uh, very briefly at one point. But you know, and that definitely impacted Sasol, for instance. But for the most part, our commodities that South Africa kind of specialises in gold, platinum, iron ore, these things have actually held up pretty well. In fact, gold gold is now at new record highs. So that's the other group. Um, then you've got a kind of a third group. Which really is, I suppose, the the kind of the, the old dream grow stable of of Richmond and uh, British American Tobacco that are listed on Johannesburg Stock Exchange purely for kind of accidental reasons, and these are global consumer companies. So they they've got very little actual business in South Africa, and they primarily global, but they are big players on the stock exchange. They're big big global companies, and then there's the last group, and the last group is really the South African companies, the domestic companies, the companies that sell to you and I and that sell to South African business. And those companies are typically your banks, your retailers, some of your kind of logistics companies, um, food producers and so on. If you look at their share prices, you know, they're still down 30, 40% year to date. 
So you can definitely see the weak economy reflected in the share prices of those companies, the banks. Yeah, so I was actually going to say it's quite interesting when you see the, the daily updates, you sort of see the JSE flat, you see resources up really in the green for year to date. And then you've just got the banking sector and property, which is like seriously red, I mean, down 30, 30 40%. Um, and, but I suppose that is reflecting the real economy. Absolutely. Those are the real stocks. Yeah, so, so that is where the South African story comes in. I mean, those companies are absolutely pricing in very, very bad economic conditions and possibly kind of overshooting those those conditions. So, so they're actually looking pretty pretty cheap, especially the banking companies. So that's that is where the market is not disconnected from reality, but very much reflecting our our very dire reality. I mean, globally, it's the same story. So even though you know global markets have also rallied, but you see the same divergence. So so. You know, the high flyers are obviously the technology companies, the companies that facilitate us working, playing, shopping, relaxing at home. Those companies are doing well. Um, they, they're growing in this pandemic and their share prices reflect this. Companies that, that depend on people moving around, oil companies, tourism companies, hotel groups, properties, etc. So, I mean, those companies, their share prices are still, again, you know, 30, 40% below low start uh, with, the, with the start of the year. So there is, there is definitely a, a divergence. There's, there's winners and losers um, across markets from this pandemic. And, and do you think this is an opportunity? I suppose what people would hear, you know, and this is where the cycle thing comes in, I suppose, yeah. is that is this an opportunity to buy? So are we looking and saying, well, those companies, those losers, um, you know, when the economies change, when we can start traveling again, uh, when property perhaps comes back into favor, are we are we just running scared as we always do in the fear greed cycle and avoiding shares like especially the banking shares, um, or is this an opportunity to to stop buying those? Um, but that takes that takes optimism, and I think Mapolo, that's what we're talking about. There isn't the optimism. Uh, we we run out of optimism. We run out of optimism. But isn't it when we've run out of optimism that we should be buying? I mean, how do we balance as as investors? How do we balance this emotion, the value versus the fear? Yeah, I mean that's that's absolutely the the kind of the trick and the, the, what separates, I suppose, you know, the really great investors over time are the ones that have been able to lean into that fear and that discomfort. Um, you know, and I think in the current environment, you have to say that. I mean, one simple question you have to ask yourself is, will things, never, will things never come right? And, you know, probably they will come right. I mean, we don't know what the future holds exactly, but I think most of those companies, you know, in a couple of years' time, they'll be, they'll be, they'll be fine again. So, I mean, whether every single individual needs to go and dabble in banking shares and retail shares, I mean, you know, our, our view is obviously you always want to try and have a diversified exposure to the market. I mean, you can try and be clever. Um, and, you know, people who enjoy stock picking, you know, by all means, but I think in terms of kind of managing your, your real, uh, your retirement savings and so on, I think it's better to have a broad diversification because again, as we've seen this year, you know, you don't always know who the winners and losers are going to be. So, so you, you can think you can be quite clever in terms of picking winners and losers, but ultimately it's better to just have broad exposure to the stock market. So for me, it's like now you've mentioned diversification and we're seeing many South Africans um, who are wanting to take their money offshore, including myself, <laughs> including myself. What does it take? What does it take? Uh, what, what, does it make sense for us to go offshore 
Um, or do we stick our money here and hope for the best that, you know what, things will turn around? Yeah, I mean, I think, I think again, the, so, so the diversification point is key because bearing in mind that most of us, um, you know, your pension funds, you've, you've, let's say you've got a pension fund and you've got a, a home that you, that you own. And, you know, some of us might even have a business that we own in South Africa. So, so from that point of view, you've got a lot of exposure to the SA economy. And the diversification principle says maybe then I need to, to make sure that I've got some, some money offshore as well. Just because, you know, otherwise all your assets depend on kind of one, one single driver, which is, which is the domestic economy. So I think the diversification principle says, yes, you need to look at how much exposure you have to SA and make sure that you have a decent, a decent exposure to the global economy. And that's not necessarily because you're worried about what's happening here. It's just because, you know, the global, global markets, global economy, they're different drivers. You know, we don't have the same kind of technology stocks, for instance, in our local market, in the U.S. market. We don't have biotech. We don't have aerospace, um, you know, et cetera, et cetera. And we're very dependent on commodities. So when commodities do well, yes, SA will do well, but commodities don't do well, SA doesn't do well. So that's, that's, the, that's the kind of the principle. It's, it's, you know, just make sure you've got a reasonable spread of your assets across local and global. In the current context, though, I mean, we started talking this conversation talking about the narratives, and I think the current narrative is very much get your money the heck out of South Africa because, you know, the government's going to come and confiscate your pension or, you know, the country's going to implode or, you know, and that is an emotional response. Then, we, then we're trying to respond emotionally to, to things we read and hear, and, and then we ignore some of the other important investment principles, including you know, the valuation principle, which is you don't want to buy, you don't want to sell something that's cheap to buy something that's expensive. That's a recipe for losing money. And I mean, Maya, you spoke about the late 90s, early 2000s. That's exactly what people did. You know, at that point, SA was in the doldrums. The RAND was falling, but global markets were, were pumping. So people were selling SA, buying global. And it took them the better part of the next decade to actually just break even on that, on that trade. So I would really, I understand that people need global exposure, but to kind of take your money now in, in a panic and, and put it offshore when, you know, the RAND has already fallen quite a lot, um, when SA markets are definitely cheaper than global markets, you know, you, you're potentially setting yourself up for for disappointing returns if, if, if you do that. It was actually quite interesting. Um, I'll see if we can embed it in the in the podcast, um, Isaac, your your graph of the, the relative PE ratios. And these were forward PE ratios. So maybe we need to just explain to the readers, oh, the listeners in this case, the that a forward PE is actually looking at future earnings, not just the past earnings. So even factoring in future earnings, you know, in, in a recession, our, our price to earnings look a lot better than, than, than the global markets. They do. And that already includes the fact that our, you know, some of our companies have, have done very well. Um, so, yeah, definitely the SA market is, is cheaper relative to global equity markets. Clearly, if you look at our bond market, it is extremely cheap relative to global markets. I mean, our bonds trade at 9, 10%, global bonds trade at anywhere between minus one and let's say 1%. So, so that gap is, is also massive. So clearly, yeah. So, so clearly on this chart, the, the, the outlier is, is the U S U S is extremely, 
um, elevated relative to its history. And that's obviously because of those, those big tech shares that have run so much. The blue line is the rest of the world excluding the US. So you can see that is, um, and South Africa tends to track that line, but recently we've diverged. So recently we've, we've, we've kind of even cheaper than the rest of the world excluding the US. And then obviously yeah, the orange line is the South African index. And that is, you can see it's, it's kind of where it was last in 2011, 2012. Um, so that's, that's a pretty reasonable level to, 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 buy, to buy into the market. Whereas the US market, I mean, the last time it was at this level was in 99. Yeah. That was kind of well into the dot-com bubble. Wow. And if you think about what happened after, from 99 and all the decisions we made, so in fact, in many respects, and this is perhaps where sometimes having gray hair helps, in many respects, this feels similar. Um, it feels similar. The, the U.S. market's been running, the RAND has been plummeting, um, and, and we, we are perhaps taking, you know, making these massive reactions. But the one that I'm finding very interesting at the moment, and, and you also mentioned it in your note, was the, the bond market. So we've got these South African bonds, what are they, at 9.5%, which is way above, way above Brazil, all the other emerging markets. Now, either this is the buy of the century, okay, or they're pricing in a, a default. They're saying there is so much trouble in South Africa with all that's going on with the corruption, with COVID, with prescribed assets, blah, blah, blah. This country is going to default. I don't know. I mean, to me, I can't see that happening. I mean, what is your view on it? Yeah, I'm definitely more in the buy, buy of the century cap. Um, and if you think also where inflation is South Africa's heading, I mean, it's, it's currently at 2%. It's obviously sort of suppressed unnaturally because of COVID. But I mean, if inflation kind of sticks around at 3 4%, you know, then that's a 5% real, real yield you're getting from from bonds, which is which is typically what you would expect to get from the equity market in terms of in terms of real returns. So I do think it is a it is a fantastic opportunity once once the um, we're able to kind of shift that narrative around South Africa being kind of in the grips of a debt crisis that South Africa won't get a handle on this debt situation. And as you say, you know that fear of of default. Um, yeah, I mean, so we the top line on the chart, the, the, the uh, sort of light blue line, that's our 10-year bond yield. The interesting thing is, I mean, you can ignore the spike, that, that was kind of the COVID spike, but you know, our yields have just been flat for the last couple of years, kind of in that 9, 10 range, and everyone else, yields have fallen quite dramatically. I mean, those are the other emerging markets, and obviously if you look at other developed markets, those are now basically converging on on zero. So, so we're standing out... As a, as a sore thumb, and I think, as you said, the market is just really worried that we're not going to get a handle on on getting government debt under control. Um, so, and it is a risk. I mean, I don't want to I don't want to pretend that there's no risk of of that not happening. Certainly, in an environment where there clearly is a lot of um, let's let's be polite. There's a lot of infighting in in the ANC. There's not a lot of clarity on on how to address some of the country's problems um, but i think it, it is within it is possible for us to get to get a handle on on our debt situation i think the the odds of a default really are are, are very very low and and i suppose i think what you also wrote in your note is that it just takes because people are so negative and expectations are so low it's just going to take one or two 
doing the right things, just one or two things. We don't have to find a miracle. We don't have to become the next booming uh, sort of Asian tiger. We just actually have to do a small few little things in the right direction, and we could get massive dividends from that. Yeah, so for me, the the, the example of Brazil is quite interesting because about two years ago, um, you know, their yields were well above ours. And, and they were in the grip of a political crisis. Remember that President Rousseff was impeached and then Bolsonaro won the victory. And, you know, and he's, he's a bit of a, a crazy character. But, but the one thing that he did is he came in and said, look, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to shake up the economy and I'm going to introduce a couple of reforms. And uh, they have managed to land one of those key reforms. And I think that has really helped kind of have a much more positive spin around Brazil. The story around Brazil is a lot more positive. Clearly, recently, you know, they've been really hard hit by, by the coronavirus. That hasn't seemed to impact the, the, the market that much. So I think we just really need to do a couple of things, you know, just and just do it and just land it. You know, just a couple of key reforms um, and just demonstrate that we're on top of things rather than try and build this great plan that's going to solve all our problems, but it takes us years and years to, to implement it and years and years to actually just decide on what it is. I really, I really wish we could just kind of have three quick wins and, um, and that'll build a lot of confidence among investors and that'll then give global investors the opportunity again to look at South African bonds and say, well, actually, maybe, you know, maybe we should maybe we should make use of those very very high real yields. What are the three quick wins? Yeah, so so the first one I would definitely say is electricity because that is that is crucial. Um, and I think the quickest win there is just to say that everybody who wants to generate their own electricity can. No restrictions, no limits, no regulations. Just go for it. Just open up the market to to whoever. Um, I think the second win, I think what we really need, though, is a very strong stance on corruption. And I think that is, that is the, the more difficult one. But clearly, that is in the, kind of the back of everybody's minds. Um, is if you can just really have a, you know, a, a very, very strong stance on, on, on corruption. I mean, I, I must just say at this point, it's not as if South Africa's corruption problem is worse than any other emerging market. In fact, most surveys rank us ahead of the likes of Brazil and India and, and Indonesia and those places. Um, it's just, again, the narrative story that we tell ourselves now is that, that you know, kind of corruption is, is, is completely out of control. Um, and I think a, thir a third quick win is really we just, if you could just, you know, just privatize one state-owned enterprise, you know, just, just, just to demonstrate that you, you know, that you're serious about, about private investment, you're serious about rationalizing your portfolio state of enterprises. You know, I'm thinking of something like the airports company. It's, it's not a, you know, it's not a so-called strategic asset. It, it just runs these airports with shopping malls attached to them. You know, you could, you could easily sell off, um, you know, you could even list it on the JSC, for instance, you know, so that, that, that kind of just is a, is a pretty straightforward. It shouldn't be politically, too complicated and it, it just sends yeah. the right message. Now, it's like for the investor, amid all this talk of negativity, what do you say to them? What are the top three things they should be considering or doing right now with all this madness going on? Okay, so I think the first thing we've seen, and I think this is, I mean, this is kind of the, just going back to basics, but the first thing we've seen is that, you know, it really does pay to just 
you just stick and just stay invested. You know, the markets go up, markets go down. Um, but but if you've just if you just stayed invested, um, you know, you, you would have been okay. And I, and I don't think anyone could say that they forecast that that would happen. I don't think anyone knew at the beginning of this year that, you know, six months down the line, you know, markets would would have recovered. So so I'm not I'm not saying that's the case. I'm just saying that, you know, there's a reason we say stay invested because these things are unpredictable. Um, and and you never know when the market's going to continue, and and you know for all we know the the, the rally just keeps going from strength to strength. You know they, they, that is that is quite possible under the right kind of global conditions. That is that is quite possible. And the second one is, is again we spoke about diversification, and I think you know again it's it's kind of a message investors often hear, and maybe they they, they find it a bit boring or trite, but. You know, there are multiple different ways in which the future can unfold. There is a, there is a scenario in which South Africa really collapses and things go horribly bad here. But there's also a scenario where you know the gold price shoots up uh, to three thousand dollars. You know, um, global capital starts flowing into emerging markets because of low interest rates globally. So the rand comes all the way down to fourteen percent, fourteen rand to the dollar. You know, so there's that scenario where suddenly things, not because of anything that happens here, just because of global conditions, that scenario that's where suddenly South African assets perform really, really well. And then you're going to kick yourself having taken all your money offshore. So just bear in mind, you know, there are multiple ways in which the future can unfold. So try and, try and make sure that you cover all, all your bases. Okay, and I think the third thing is really just remember that um social media is probably not the best place to get financial advice um <laughs> i don't think that is a true statement made ever social media is not the place to get financial advice or make your investment decisions not not that there's not good information there but i think the problem is we often we often treat social media as being kind of a representative sample and and it's not. It it it's, tends to be the loudest people whose voices are heard the most. Um, so it is not necessarily the true reflection of, of reality. But yeah, I think I think rather get investment advice from from a from a professional uh, before you make big kind of life change. But I think it's it's not. You know, when I, I was laughing about social media in in the sense that you also had the fear mongering happening there. So you get a lot of the fear stuff because that's what people get hooked into. We get hooked into fear or we get um, also hooked into, um, you know, excessive expectations as well. So um, it's also the place where all the scams are happening. Mm -hmm. Of course, it's like I can double your money and all the rest of it. But it really is, it really is heightened, I think, the cycle of fear and greed. Um, social media, it's almost like it, it's always been there, the fear and greed cycle. But Social media yeah. definitely is, is is increasing those those highs and troughs between the two. Yeah. So I, I, I agree with that. Of course, what Mapolo and I say on social media is completely and actually true and should be followed. <laughs> oh, absolutely, absolutely. Um, I mean, I don't think, for instance, you could have had something like Bitcoin. You know, you've we've had many irrational, speculative bubbles in the past, but I mean, Bitcoin is very much something that's fueled by social media and this, this group of true believers who kind of push it. So, so that's very much the the modern social media kind of uh, 
uh, bubble. But um, just to end off, one of the things I was also thinking about when you were speaking about staying in the market, and Mapula, you'll remember we did, I think we did a podcast right in September, in, in March, it was the end of March, beginning of April when lockdown happened, and I said, I haven't opened up my statements. You know, you get your quarterly statements. I just didn't open them because I knew. I had that mine. Did you? Remember, I had opened mine and it was horrible. That's it. Mapula hadn't followed my advice. She'd opened hers and she was like, I, I don't know what to do. And we, we said on this podcast, we said, keep your debit orders going. And if you think about it, the debit order where it went off at the end of March is up 50%. Think about that for a moment. That single debit order that you're allowed to go off at the end of March because you didn't panic is already up 50%. And I think it's that. It's not only about, you know, we always think about lump sums, but it's that monthly debit order and, and how from March, April, May, those three months, it just boosted your total return. Um, because you're picking it up so low. So I think that was also just like, it's so important to, to just stay the, stay the course. Stay the course, yes. <laughs> stay the course. But thank you, and, and thank you for your input. And I hope it's, it, yeah, I just wanted to get across a little bit of the narrative. It really struck me, the narratives we tell ourselves. Um, and maybe we, we're getting ourselves a little bit too stuck in the negative narrative. Um, and maybe we need to start looking for, for the positives. And one of the positives is our really, really low forward PE rate and these really well-priced government bonds. Um, so yeah, just, it's just going to take a little bit of effort. Oh, thank you. Thank you, Isaac. So that's a wrap for today. Um, if our listeners would like to learn more about these or any money-related topics, they can go to the City Press website or to your website, womanandfinance.co.za or my website, mayaonmoney.co.za And if you have any questions or comments, you can send us a WhatsApp voice note to 064-554-3959 and we look forward to hearing from you. Because we want to know what it is that you want to know. You've been listening to the My Money, My Lifestyle podcast featuring the contributors of the City Press personal finance pages.